Welcome to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I'm Trevor. I'm Matthew. And I am Dustin. Today we will be talking about a movie called Wonder Woman. But first, do we have any follow-up? Well, I'm going to throw out one important, very quick blurb in that um, Rogue One, which some people who have been longtime listeners will remember it was our uh, inaugural show, is going to be coming to Netflix for streaming on July 18th. So if you have not seen it or wish to re-see it, that would be a prime opportunity if you have a Netflix account. And on that note, all Disney movies, I think from 2016 forward, are going to be on Netflix. I mean, at least for now, they have a deal that all of the newer Disney stuff will be on Netflix. How many movies did Disney release in 2016? Um, Quite a few. I'm not exactly sure, but I know it includes Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, yeah. They dominated the box office because of that. <laughs> yeah. Because they have an, a monopoly? <laughs> well, between... They'd already made like $3 billion or something by the time... I think by the time Captain America came out. Last year. Hmm. Um, Moana, when did Moana come out? November. I think it was early December, but it was right the same time that Arrival... Rogue One, Hexal Ridge, um, and I guess Moana was the other one. It was in it was in like a five week period that there were like five or six movies that came out that I wanted to see, and so I didn't see Moana when it came out because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw it within the last couple of weeks since it came to Netflix, and I just wanted to say that I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a certain woman that we're about to talk about. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I remember when Frozen came out, there was a whole bunch of hype about how it was just amazing. And so I saw it and I was like, oh, I don't get it. I don't know why everybody was so amazed by this. And then I didn't really hear that much buzz for Moana, but it was many, many times better than Frozen, in my opinion. I thought it was really good. I liked the sailing and that it was surrounding like the mythology of the Pacific islands or some of the Pacific islands. I don't know. I don't know much about Pacific Islander mythology. So I'm speaking out of ignorance here, but that was an interesting aspect of it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it when I saw it. I saw it in theaters though. Because I was looking forward to it, but specifically for the fact that it was exploring cultures that have not been explored much in the Western imagination. Yeah. Um, I thought there was too much singing. <laughs> I could have done with less of that. Uh, I also was surprised that the pig was not in it very much. I thought that it was going to be more of a... That was a big disappointment. Yeah. yeah. What was the pig's name? Pig. I don't know. No. I'm trying to remember. Did you enjoy Alan Tudyk in that movie? Yes, I did. <laughs> uh, I feel silly now, but I didn't realize he was in it. Who was he? Hey, hey. The ch- chicken. Oh. 
key is actually apparently the good luck charm for um, Disney's recent animated movies like that. Okay. Because he's been in pretty much all of them in some form or another. Like what? Alan Tudyk is in both Frozen and Zootopia as Duke Weaselton and Duke Wesselton. <laughs> okay. I don't know if he's been in any others. Do you know Matthew? Wasn't he in some star movie recently? I don't, can't remember. He was in uh, Wreck-It Ralph, I think I read. I, I haven't seen that one. I think literally just any Disney animation movie they've put out, like you could look up a list and he's in it. Okay. Hmm. The pig is named Pua. I just assumed that Pua and Hey Hey meant pig and chicken. They probably did. They might. I think Moana means ocean or something. Anyway, I I really liked the conclusion, like the final confrontation. I thought it was really good. Yes, mm-hmm. I liked that too. I liked how in a lot of ways it was a deconstruction of a lot of, like it it was still beholden to tropes and it knew it was, but it it kind of like played around with that and tried to deconstruct it a bit. Yeah. Specifically of like the princess Disney feel of a movie. So how does it rank in comparison to Lilo and Stitch? Um, that's a difficult question. They're not. They're very different movies. Well, they're both Disney movies. And so, I don't know. Trevor liked Lilo and Stitch. He liked Moana. I was asking, which one do you like more? Sometimes it's just hard to compare things. I like them both for different reasons. Um, Lilo and Stitch will probably remain closer to my heart does that answer the question mm, that's that's fine in a way the um the conclusions have some similarities i don't really want to say too much because we're not doing like a full spoiler discussion or anything but in a way the things that i like about the conclusions are actually kind of similar between mm. the two movies that's true anyway um what's our next point of follow-up so i had added battlefield 2 i said that strangely battlefront that it is it Battlefront? Battlefield yeah. is a FPS oh, game. Oh man, I get those two confused so often. Battlefield is probably another World War Two game. Um, um, the first one, the Battlefield One or whatever it was, was actually World War One. Yeah, but that wasn't the first Battlefield game, though. No, I think they're. I think they moved out of World War Two. Like, I don't think they've been that for a while. If they ever did. I don't know enough about the series, to honestly. So anytime that someone merely refers to Star Wars Battlefront as Battlefront, I, for a while, think they're talking about Battlefield. And I mistyped that in the Trello card. But Battlefront 2, I read an article about it, and Trevor was expressing a hope that there would be a considerable... substantial campaign and the article i read seemed to indicate that there was indeed a substantial campaign so good news on that front that that battlefront i knew it had been confirmed that there was a campaign the thing that you saw did it give some specific reassurances about the extent of it it made it sound like it was kind of a central part of the game okay um but it's been quite a while since I read it. I wish I had saved the URL, but I did not. Okay. I have 
a minor correction from what I had said about Battlefront last time. Um, I said it would be nice if they added a mode where you're just flying spaceships because typically in the first game, the spaceships, the starfighters are just short power-ups and they don't last very long. You get killed or whatever. So you're only flying for like 30 seconds out of a match. And I said they should add a mode where you're just in the spaceships. And I remembered after saying that on the recording that there actually is a mode like that, which just goes to show you how much I've played the first Battlefront game because I, I totally forgot. There is a game mode where you're just flying starfighters. It's the best game mode in the game because you're flying a starfighter the whole time. And the power-ups or the, I don't know, I mean, they're kind of like the heroes in that mode. I don't know what they call them specifically because heroes doesn't really fit. But the, like, more powerful modes are the Millennium Falcon and the Slave One. I don't think I ever got to the point where I was able to actually use one of those, um, which is one of the frustrating things about the game. You have to be good to get the good stuff. But there is a essentially starfighter mode, even in the PvP stuff. So I hope they add more of that, I guess. Yeah. It The article just seemed to be reassuring, at least on in the area of campaign. So. Okay. Matthew, last time we recorded, you mentioned something about a new series from Marvel where all of the people that shared an identity were going to be thrown in together. And I don't know exactly the story behind it, but I was wondering if Alex Ross is the artist because I was recently in a library and saw a magazine about Marvel comics. It was like a preview for upcoming Marvel comics and it had uh, an Alex Ross painting of various Marvel heroes, and one of them, I, I noticed that there were two uh, Hawkeyes together. That's just the main, that was the announcement image they did when it first came out, um, or when they first said they were going to do it. They, I, it's going to be differing art teams and creative teams based, like it's all basically going to be a series of one shots where those current versions somehow meet the past versions. Like not even, even though like they coexist now, it's so for instance, let's say it's, I know with Hawkeye, it's Kate Bishop. Hawkeye is going to meet Clint Barton Hawkeye when he was just relatively starting out as Hawkeye. So even though they, those two interact a lot in the present day, it's she's meeting a younger version of him. I don't mm -hmm. know how it's going to happen, but for the most part, the people who are writing the ongoings for all of those are going to be writing those one shots. So the person who's writing Thor right now is going to be writing that crossover too. Okay. Is it a series of one shots? Uh, kind of. Yeah. Can they be one shots if they're part of a series? They're not a series. They're, <laughs> They're related by a publishing initiative, so it's a series in that sense, but there's not like I don't I don't believe there's going to be a narrative connection between them. Okay. So it's a collection, perhaps? It's an anthology, I guess. That's okay. probably how it'll come across when they publish it all together in an invariable collection. 
that makes sense. I think they're kind of just doing it to play up the connect the sense. I, I don't know the sense of legacy that they've built up by having a lot of younger versions of heroes running around. I was interested in it when I thought that Alex Ross was going to be the artist for the series, but my interest is waning. They have had him do a lot of cover stuff without doing anything interior for a while. And that's just a bait and switch. It's very, it's all, everyone does it. Yeah. It's frustrating. (laughs) I don't disagree with that because you, want to be able to if anything can be judged by its cover it should hopefully be a comic but (laughs) (laughs) yeah continuing in the vein of comic discussions i just finished reading dc universe rebirth and i've had in my insta paper saved the article that i think trevor shared about the rebirth storyline back in may of 2016 i was just about to say wasn't this like a year or two ago yeah it was i just recently purchased it and even more recently found the time to read it after purchasing it so um just throwing it out there that we can talk about that now (laughs) i don't remember (laughs) what we wanted to discuss about it though (laughs) full disclaimer i have not read rebirth at all i have only read the article explaining rebirth (laughs) and then argued with people about whether or not it actually made any sense (laughs) oh no (laughs) this is my shame (laughs) you you argued with people based on the article yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay i have read the watchman okay (laughs) i think that's relevant at least it is according to the article (laughs) it's not it's not. Yes, it is. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm oh, joking. Okay. Uh, so, were the people that you were arguing with for? Uh, let's see. Were did they appreciate the rebirth, or were they against it? No, they were just saying that it was like the dumbest thing, and it didn't make any sense to them. Oh, and I mean, basically, the extent of my argument was, I haven't read it, but this post seems like it would make sense of it and they were yeah. like yeah i still just don't care this is dumb <laughs> oh, i was like well wow. if you if you read the blog post like i really think it could help you out like so uh, i wasn't really arguing so much as trying to get them to read the blog post you run in interesting circles because everyone that i've talked to about it has really loved the story okay and like at the comic book shop i mean cuz i said uh, whenever I was walking to the checkout line, probably three or four people looked at what I had and said, Oh, that's awesome. That's a good selection. That and my flash comic. I think it's been received well. And that's kind of, um, the point where a, a new narrative developed that like DC was doing really well and Marvel's going off the rails with, uh, just not doing a good job with things. And part of that was because I think at that point, DC made their comics cheaper. I think theirs are $3 for the majority of things, whereas Marvel's are usually 4 and can be more than that. And it's Mm -hmm. considered that's giving more like stuff that fans want versus 
there's just some uh, Marvel stuff is not selling super well. Mm. And that's been a reversal of how it's been for the last several years. Yeah. I really wonder how the movies affect all of that. Part of it is I think people dislike the constant relaunches that Marvel's been doing. Like anytime, like pretty much once a year, any ongoing thing gets re but like launched as a number one and they that makes it really hard for people to follow along is what they're starting to find even though like number ones will sell really well it so if you've got like a series where it had a number one and then after a year when it should be 13 they relaunch it as one and then it just does that like once every year 15 months or something it just makes it really hard for people to pick up what's even going on even though they want to make it so that people are um have like jumping on points yeah it's got to be tough because i imagine there are a ton of points that would be just fine to jump on and yet if they just kept numbering them sequentially people would be like no way am i starting at 53 that i just can't do that yeah so they almost have to do the number ones just because people are stubborn yeah but at the same that like there it's decreasing effectiveness and they found that like it's only a temporary sales bump for the one so i was reading something about this where it was like they were going like 11 12 and typically every time an issue comes out the readership drops off a little more just because you get people who are like i'm done now and aren't going to continue reading it until it like can kind of sort of stabilize with the last lap round of when they did that at Marvel, it instead of like they had a sales bump at one, but it just like cratered all the titles. Like even people saw it more as a jumping off point than a jumping on point. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I did something similar with um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because they named the last two half seasons with like their own subtitle. They had. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ghost Rider and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. LMD. And when I I really didn't enjoy the Ghost Rider sequence at all. So when they switched to the LMD sequence, I figured that was a good stopping point. <laughs> and it turns out the LMD sequence was actually way better. So What does LMD stand for? Life Model Decoy. Mm. I don't know what that is. It's a robot that is almost indistinguishable from a person okay so it's from the story it's not like a common phrase no it's a common phrase in oh it is a common phrase marvel in marvel oh okay marvel has lmds and star wars has what is basically a complete ripoff of the concept called an hrd a human replica droid lmd like for the longest time the main reason they ever showed up is that Nick Fury never appeared in person. He would always appear as an LMD, and like if he managed to get like shot or something, it would just be an LMD. And so everyone kind of just assumed they were never talking to Nick Fury, and that it was Nick Fury working through and Nick Fury LMD because apparently he had like twelve million of them, just printed and waiting for <laughs> various applications. He sounds like a paranoid guy. He is. <laughs> Technically, he's a uh, not around anymore and he's like the watcher instead chained to the moon he turned into a watcher essentially yep huh okay well on that note i think we've covered follow-up and various comic thoughts pretty thoroughly 
you guys okay with moving to the main topic? Um, but first, Finland facts. <sighs> <laughs> We've actually had some feedback from oh, yeah, listeners yeah. regarding Finland facts. I'm actually excited about this because we have some user... Why did I say user? <laughs> user <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about this because we have some listener submitted Finland facts. Yeah. The first is a follow-up kind of from listener Curtis. He shared a an article talking about uh Yolupuki, Yolupuki, the Finnish Santa, and it was an interesting read. So, um we can include that in the show notes and another fun aspect of that article is that it is from a Finnish blog. So if if you read that, you could always go to the main page and look through other articles regarding Finland written by Finns. Um, According to their about page, they are the most widely read Finnish um, news website or something like that. So that was kind of cool. I looked into buying a Finland domain for us, but they're not cheap. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been fun. Dot fi. <laughs> but they were like 65 bucks. Oh, man. And when we finally get a Finnish listener, we will be so set up for them. They're just they're going to be blown away. <laughs> <laughs> They'll think they're listening to a good local podcast. <laughs> they would be disappointed. Sisu. <laughs> so are you guys going to the sauna later? Are you going to take sauna? I watched a How It's Made that included how saunas are made. And it was interesting. Was it like nailing boards together and then heating up some rocks and pouring water on it? Um, It was a little more industrial than that, but yes. Oh, okay. It's going to be a big factory. <laughs> it was pretty big. Do they actually have like a assembly line and everything? Some of it was mechanized, but a lot of it was done by hand. So, like, they actually make them in a factory? It was industrial-ish. Okay. See, I was joking because I figured they were made by craftsmen or contractors on location. So these are prefab uh, saunas? I almost said prefab sisu, which wouldn't make sense at all. <laughs> um, I Define what you would say as prefab. So, like... Uh, they build the room, put it on a truck, and drive it to your house. Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. Or they... I think that was what they did. It seemed like maybe they're, you could go and look at their show floor and pick one out, and they'd probably do some of it, but then build other parts of it together for you at, at your place. I don't know. Yeah. They didn't go into that part. It was just showing how it was made, because that's what the show is called. Oh, that show. Considering we have prefab houses and stu- and such, I'm not terribly surprised, but it's interesting. I'll have to watch that one. Our fun fin fact for this week was brought to us by listener Aaron. Um, and it was actually something that I had, well, I had heard about this, but I hadn't made the connection to Finland. But he shared that the architect who designed the gateway arch in st louis was from finland and his name is or was i don't know if he's still living 
Eero Saarinen. And I had heard about Eero Saarinen on a an episode of 99% Invisible that was really interesting. Um, so thanks to listeners Curtis and Aaron for submitting Finland Facts. If you want to see the show notes and links to the things we're talking about, you can find them at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 15. That brings us to our main topic, Wonder Woman. And we're going to start with some spoiler-free discussion just to talk about general impression uh, if anybody's kind of on the fence or hasn't seen it yet. So, Dustin, do you want to start? Sure. I think everyone should watch this movie. It was wonderful. It was, yeah, it was really good. I think everyone should watch it. She was everything I hoped she would be. That is what you tweeted. That is what I, I'm, I'm trying to be consistent with my message. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys ever looked back at Twitter archives to see like what you thought about stuff before? Um, no. I haven't looked to see what I thought about stuff, but as I scroll through things, I see how incredibly witty I am. <laughs> okay. Um, I recently was glancing at my Twitter archive and learned that apparently I liked Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when it came out. Interesting. Yeah. What What changed? I don't know, but I just... Just your comment about remaining consistent reminded me of that because I don't think I've spoken kindly of it in recent years. Anyway, that's kind of a, another topic. Um, so Matthew, what did you think of Wonder Woman? Um, I also thought it was good. I don't know if I would be as far reaching in my recommendations as Dustin that it's <laughs> like some amazing, it's so amazing that every person alive should see it, but it wouldn't. You're dead to me. I don't think it would be bad for people to see it. I don't know how to like. Your eyes won't just explode. <laughs> this movie is better than looking into the Ark of the Covenant. I, that is exactly what I was thinking of, and probably because of your priming with Indiana Jones a second ago. <laughs> It's somewhere between enjoyable and face melting. Um, it's probably <laughs> it's not a strong recommendation. <laughs> not. It's so enjoyable. Your face will melt. Now, it's probably one of the stronger movies I've seen this year. So why the lukewarm recommendation? Because I don't know how to follow up with you. Anything it, you gave it such strong praise that I can't. I, I liked the movie and I would say it's enjoyable, but I, I guess the nuance you seek is to be found in the spoiler section. Yeah. Yeah. I think a good exercise for this episode would be to take whatever I say and try to make it sound even better when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> like just, just one up me in your love for this movie and, and this episode will be great. <laughs> is this for the sake of our friendship that we must do this? This is, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just for the sake of the listening audience. But I don't love it more than you. Well, this is going well. <laughs> I'm more just saying that you are deeply invested in the character and looked forward to this since it's like day one announcement and probably dreamed about it at some point. 
and have read a lot of the com like you're just much more invested have i told you guys all that <laughs> well, i was making a guess about the dreams <laughs> <laughs> trevor what about you so star wars dreams frequently involve like dreaming you have a lightsaber <laughs> have you been dreaming just about a second. having just lassos a second. I and love... bracers and things <laughs> i love that no matter what topic we're discussing, we can always bring it back to Star Wars. It is your superpower. <laughs> I am a very sick man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually impressed if you have. St- I'd never have dreams that are about like uh, franchised media like this. <laughs> really? You never dream you're like flying around in an Iron Man suit? I have never had that. Or slinging webs? Nope. Anything like that? Nope. Do you dream at all? <laughs> I, yes, but it's never That is about... the natural next question. <laughs> Trevor, to answer your question, if I did have dreams about this movie, it would either be that I was wielding the lasso of truth or that I was just watching wonder woman wield the lasso of truth as captain Trevor. So you, in your dreams, you are Trevor that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll go with that. I haven't actually had any dreams about the movie. So Trevor, what did you think of the movie? Um, I enjoyed it. I was, Really not sure what to expect going in. I did not have any strong expectations that it would be good or bad. Um, Wait, hold on, hold on. You went to a DC movie without a strong expectation that it would be bad? Without, yes. Wow. Um, And I, I mentioned that simply because I have really not liked any of the the DC EU. That's what they call it, right? DC EU. I think so. Um, I have not liked any of those movies. I, I enjoyed some of the Christopher Nolan ones or one of the Christopher Nolan ones, but um, I didn't like any of the their DC universe stuff. And so it, I could have been in the position where I just assumed it was going to be bad, but I feel like I did go in pretty blank on this one because on the one hand, I had the my general negativity towards the DC cinematic universe. And then on the other hand, I had like trailers and stuff that made it look like this one was going to be pretty good. And so those kind of balanced out for me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to just go in thinking this is going to be great because the trailers were great, given the, the other stuff. So I went in pretty even and came out um, thinking that was a pretty good movie. So overall good impression and i would recommend um it felt to me kind of like a mix between thor and captain america and i don't mean that in a negative way i'm not saying it was derivative or anything uh, because i like both of those movies it just evoked both of those for me and i think we talked about that on a prior episode yeah i can't remember what we talked about on the previous episode yeah. Oh, with regard to uh, Wonder Woman, that is. Right. So we might repeat ourselves a little bit, but I think that's okay because, you know, some people might be listening just to this one or whatever. So it's okay. Is is my impression good enough for you, Dustin? 
Yes, it is. Okay. Your no one's opinion. I'm not going to say anyone's opinion is a bad opinion. Okay. Um. And yeah, we can get more nuance in the the spoilery section. But if anybody hasn't seen it, I would say um, it's pretty good. Um, has a good amount of humor and um, other stuff. The action's good. The humor's good. The story's good. Characters are good. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) What a letdown. (laughs) Um, I did have a thought uh, when Trevor asked back when we were talking about DC Universe Rebirth and how Marvel Comics sales were down. He said, I wonder how the movies play into that or something like that. And I had a thought uh, back to when I was reading uh, Rebirth and then reading the article about how it was supposed to set a tone for just the DC company as a whole, including the movies, uh, knowing that it was written in 2016 and that there has been time for that um, more positive and hopeful outlook to make it into a movie. I was disappointed because I thought, oh, they haven't done that uh, because I was thinking of Suicide Squad specifically. But then Hmm. I realized that if the comic book came out in May of 2016, it would have, the first movie that would have been able to be affected by it substantially was Wonder Woman. And so that at least seems to be in keeping with the uh, direction that Jeff Johns is wanting to take the DC universe. And people have been clamoring that since, even since Man of Steel, um, Ask, asking for more hope and more more hope fun. in the universe. And that was one of the big criticisms: was this is a Superman movie. Superman is all about hope. They even push that in the trailer, and yet the movie is really not very hopeful at all. Um, so that was one of the big criticisms I heard. And mm-hmm. I, I know there are exceptions. There are people who like the movies, and they made a ton of money, but the big criticism was that there was just no hope in it. And yeah, that just continued through all the movies until finally changing with this one. Yeah. And that's what Aaron and I have loved so much about the TV show, the flash is that it does preserve that funness of comic books and, and it's hope more hopeful. It's upbeat. Uh, we've been watching the flash and the arrow in conjunction because of how the show writing goes. Um, and it's easy to tell when, uh, okay. So sometimes they have crossover episodes where the flash will show up in, uh, an arrow episode, but they have, since the flash is in it, they will have that episode in the flash DVDs. And it's easy to tell whenever the show switches from, the perspective of the flash to the perspective of being written for the arrow because it's a lot grimmer and 
I don't know why I went into that discussion other than to say that I'm glad that it's things are brightening up. It's a brighter future. Yeah. I've discussed this a fair amount with my friends who do like the DC movies in general. Um, and one of the things that they've often said is the DC movies are deeper. And I would say dark is not the same thing as deep and you can have, uh, dark plot threads. You can have sad things happen, but the fact that the movie overall is just dark doesn't mean that it's deep. And, um, the Marvel movies are not dark, but there is depth to them. Um, and it also reminds me of a quote from Joss Whedon. He, I have no idea what this is from, but a quote from him, he said, make it dark, make it grim, make it tough. But then for the love of God, tell a joke. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Wonder Woman had a lot of sad moments. It had a lot of, um, you know, times that they were seeing humanity suffering and saying, this isn't right. We have to do something, but there were a ton of jokes in there as well. And it Mm -hmm. really helps to even the movie out and make it more watchable and enjoyable to have some humor in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there is definitely some sort of artistic mindset. That's like, Oh man, everything like it's almost like a Buddhist outlook. Like everything is suffering and (laughs) that you just have, like if you deviate from that, you're just telling a lie. And if you want to be real and like really represent reality, you have to be grim and dark the whole time. Yeah. Which I don't understand that mindset because even if everything is terrible, like you said, people will still throw in jokes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A related mindset that kind of drives me nuts is um, the increasing push for like R rated movies. Um, And I mean, you have something like Deadpool, there's a ton of jokes in that. It's rated R. Then you have like Logan, which has almost no joke. I mean, it has some jokes, but not a lot. They're very dry. If they're, yeah, they're dry. I guess they're there. Um, but it is overall, um, a little darker. Um, but anyway, my point is on that same note, people see some R rated movies, superhero movies specifically doing well. And their response is, yes, we need more of this. If you're really going to tell good stories, you got to make an R rated movie. And I think that that kind of drives me nuts because you can have a good story without it being rated R and Mm -hmm. sure. There are going to be some things that people might want, like, um, like Wolverine punching people in the face with his claws or whatever, but by and large, it doesn't really affect the story that much. And, um, even though it may financially do really well, I think more people are going to be able to enjoy the movie if it's rated PG 13 or whatever. Cause like, I mean, most, maybe not most, but a lot of people are not going to be able to share a movie with their kids. If it's rated R like coming back to star Wars again, inevitably if star Wars movies were all rated R, they wouldn't be what they are in the culture because people wouldn't grow up with them. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a, a side rant, I guess. As Jen Urso would say, we need more hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Yes. Anyway, I don't I don't know why I said all of that. No, it, they were good thoughts. None of them were complaints about Wonder Woman. I'm just ranting right. about other things. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman is not rated R, and it's great. So don't feel like you have to make everything gross and crunchy, please. <laughs> yeah, it... 
my kids like superheroes a lot. And I would love to be able to watch some of these superhero movies with them, but I can't because they're PG-13. Um, like even I think Janelle would enjoy Wonder Woman, like watching a Wonder Woman movie. But what we're limited to watching is a, like the Lego Batman short movie that is on Netflix the Lego Batman movie that came out recently and some other like justice league cartoons and stuff. But they say sucks in that. That's a bad word. <laughs> Funny. In which one? Lego Batman. Oh, did they? That's his password to get in. Oh, Iron super. Man sucks. Oh, did he say Iron oh. Man sucks? Oh, right, <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking of it as Superman sucks, but you're right. Iron Man sucks, which he does. Um, Whenever he told Joker that he hates him, and that was like a big deal for Joker in that movie, we have had trouble with Janelle saying that she hates things or people. And so we had ha uh, been telling Janelle, no, you don't say the word hate. Just It's off limits. Don't say that. And then we go to the movie and I hate you. <laughs> and... I kind of groaned inside. I was like, oh no, are we going to have a re resurgence of hate from Janelle? <laughs> we avoided that. Batman did it. <laughs> Batman said hate. I can say hate. But yeah. But daddy, you told me to always do what Batman does. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, kid, but not in this situation. <laughs> All that to say, I'm glad for less grim movies that maybe someday I could watch with my kids. I'm trying to think if any of the Marvel stuff is kid friendly. I mean the MCU stuff. Not really. Yeah. Not not for my age of children. Because I've thought of that too. Older children maybe, but right. Well, I think those are all PG-13 as well. I might be wrong. There might be some PGs in there, but I think that typically Superhero movies have been PG-13. Yeah, I can't remember the first few. I don't think that the language really jumped into PG-13 territory until Age of Ultron. Yeah. But I could be wrong. Language. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they get chastised for it, so. Yeah. Although, I mean, that might work at a certain age, but, <laughs> you know, not for little kids. Anyway, um... Yeah, I'm not too upset about them being PG-13, but it does, it would be frustrating to not be able to share them with kids. Right. I I would rather them be PG-13 than R, because at least right. I can say, no, you can see this when you're 13, which exactly. I probably yeah. would watch with her sooner than that. But it's not like I'm telling her, well, you can't see this until you're 18. <laughs> yeah. Because like when something's rated R, like there's stuff that I'm not even going to want to see in that. Right. Like I, yeah. Wolverine with, or Logan was really crunchy. Was really what? Really crunchy. Crunchy. <laughs> there were plenty of times where I was going, ah, and kind of looking away from the screen. Oh yeah. Cringy. Crunchy. Like chips, crunchy, like bones crunching. Oh, ooh. <laughs> with, with his claws. Yeah. Well, they I mean, did not pull any punches. Crunchy, squishy, whatever. 
they literally did not pull their punches. He, they showed you exactly what it would be if there was a man with unbreakable metal claws and you were repeatedly chat like (laughs) in the first few minutes i was thinking oh good they're like just getting this all out of their system right now like just like show us what he can do and then like the rest of the movie i won't have to worry about it and then it was the whole movie yeah you're not selling that one to me very well (laughs) yeah it has its merits the movie does yeah it was surprising like surprisingly mature i would say (laughs) well it sounds like it (laughs) in not the content sense but in the what it was trying to do as a story oh i see um a couple of podcasters i listen to have an ongoing disagreement as to whether or not it's okay to show uh i think a nine-year-old that movie no and one of them's like my kid loved it and the other one's like you were insane (laughs) like no that's not even a (laughs) no (laughs) i heard of people taking their kids to see deadpool yeah because people are idiots. Yeah. It's a comic book movie. And then complaining about it because they're like, oh man, I didn't know this movie was going to be this violent and then crude. And it's like, it's an R-rated movie, people. They they make it as plain as day. Like, I'm sorry, you can't read the letter R. Also, <laughs> all the stuff underneath it of why it's R. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're kind of off on a rating tangent here. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to move into the spoiler spoiler town. territory? Spoilers. Okay. Here be spoilers. We are now going to talk details on Wonder Woman. If you have not seen Wonder Woman, you probably want to stop listening. Insert spoiler horn. Though at this point, probably most people that would see Wonder Woman have already seen her. Probably. it. (laughs) You're still personifying the movie. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) So, what are we we talking about next here? Oh, yes. What we liked. I I was impressed with the humor in the movie. And we've kind of touched on this already. But a lot of times... In movies, in the trailers, you'll see some humor, some jokes and such. And at least in the case of Suicide Squad, any of the jokes that were in the trailer were the best jokes in the movie by far. And I was kind of afraid that it would be the same way with Wonder Woman, but I didn't think that was the case at all. Like, the best jokes were other jokes. Yeah, that's the worst when they put the best or even all of the jokes in the trailer. Yeah. My favorite jokes were um, whenever they are sailing to England and she's saying that we need to sail uh, to the front and uh, stop Ares. And he says, no, we need to take this book to the men who can do something about it. And she says, I'm the men who can do something about it (laughs) or something like that. I just, yeah, was cracking up. I love that line. That was a good one. And then also whenever she has ice cream for the first time, you should be so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was really funny. Yeah. I laughed a whole lot more than I expected. Yeah. Some of the jokes kind of went on a little too long, but 
by and large, they were fine. Mm. Usually when it was something related to um, the stuff we were just talking about, that reasons you wouldn't be able to show your kid the movie. Uh, yeah. The, the the things that I will talk about in the what I didn't like about the movie part. Okay. <laughs> I liked that when there were big questions I had about, like, how can they make this work? I, the movie got around to answering it pretty, like, on its own terms. And I was like, oh, okay, that is good. I don't have that lingering big question, which not a lot of movies do. And I don't... So, for instance, one of the things was, um, like, knowing some stuff about Wonder Woman, I was like, I have absolutely no idea how they're going to, in the way, with the feel they're going for in the DCEU, how they were going to get literal Greek gods running around in the universe and have it feel anything like it did before. Mm -hmm. And they answered that within the first, like, five minutes of the movie. (laughs) So I was like, oh, good i don't have to wonder about that um and then like similar stuff like how they were talking about the nature of war and like how this had um like aries behind it i was like well then how are they going to deal with world war Two? and they answered that like through the way they thematically explored war mm-hmm and that sounds like it's touching on my, what I didn't like, because I did not think that was adequately answered. But maybe you guys can convince me otherwise later on. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was adequately answered, but they answered it. And I was like, okay. So they're like, it, at first it felt like it was going to be a, they weren't paying attention and they just wanted to, they didn't care. But I felt like they at least tried to put out an answer and without spelling it out super directly. Mm-hmm. Matthew, when you said you liked how they handled the whole Greek god thing, are you talking about the when they kind of give the backstory? They're all dead, Dave. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to handle it. <laughs> that Ares guy. What a jerk. But Ares is my favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he everybody's favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? I hope so. He better be. There's probably one person out there who really likes the way Umbridge put all those kids in line. But there was Snape. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's a good point. Was he actually a good Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? I don't know. It was just it. It was Snape. Snape. <laughs> Snape. <laughs> oh man. For a Snape. When did he do it? Um, book six, I think. Pretty sure it was book six. Okay. Um, because then the next book, he was the headmaster. Yeah. Spoilers. By the way, spoilers for Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't read a 10-year-old book series at this point, like the most recent entry of which in the main series is 10 years old. Sorry. <laughs> we already we already blew the spoiler horn, so we're, we're covered yeah. for anything in the ensuing discussion. We already mentioned <laughs> that Snape kills Trinity with Rosebud that several episodes back, so we're good. exactly what I was just going to say. <laughs> By the way, they're all dead, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> that was a spoiler, too. <laughs> but we're not going to tell you what it's... Yeah. You have to go find the movie that it spoils. <laughs> and then be irate that we spoiled it. I'm sure plenty of people know, but I'm also sure that plenty of people don't know. Yes. <laughs> that about covers it. 
Um, I have lots of things that I liked about this movie. Um, we already talked about the humor. I thought it was, uh, well, going along with the humor, I guess, is just watching her, uh, discover the world of men and all of the, as I think Trevor described it in the other podcast episode that we talked about this, the fish out of water kind of deal with from that you see in Thor. Um, I thought it was, I liked it in Thor. I liked it in this movie. Um, like for instance, her walking down the streets of London with a sword and a shield <laughs> is pretty entertaining. <laughs> That's, and them saying the sword doesn't go with the outfit at all. Yeah. I don't know. It's just lots of humor. <laughs> the sequence with the secretary meeting her and then trying to help her out might be one of my favorite sequences <laughs> in the movie where she's like, you know, takes her to the store and everything. And yeah. Then has to take stewardship of the sword. She's like, <laughs> protect it with your life. Oh, okay. And then when uh, Diana is trying on all the dresses and yeah. being really difficult, and she comes to one with a high collar, and she says, the collar is choking me. And the secretary says, I can't say I blame it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they also take a shot at her old outfit, don't they? Probably... When she walks up to like the lingerie and she's like, this is what your women wear into battle. Like, isn't that kind of a pot shot at the, I didn't see it as such. Okay. Was it a corset? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't think she's ever worn a corset. I don't know her, the, the stuff she was wearing in the movie is probably as skimpy as wonder woman gets. Uh, so, well, I don't know. Some of the Alex Ross stuff looks more like a swimsuit type deal, but I've never really thought of it as particularly sexual. I saw an interesting, I think it was a tweet storm from a costume designer on this topic. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were talking about the contrast between this costume and the other Amazons versus her older costumes and it it kind of acknowledged like i realized like it still could be interpreted as revealing mm -hmm. or whatever but as a costume designer the person writing this said they look at what influenced the costume and what the starting point was for the costume mm -hmm. when they see a movie a lot of times they can tell where the costume designer was coming from and they said looking at the old Wonder Woman costumes, um, you could tell they were essentially starting from sexy underwear mm. and then trying to make it look like a superhero suit or armor. But in this case, they were very much starting from armor mm -hmm. and then stylizing it to look like Wonder Woman. So you have things like the overlapping bands of leather, like in Roman armor. Mm -hmm. And then you have like, instead of like, these are my sexy boots, you have the actual greaves strapped onto her legs in a protective manner. Mm -hmm. um, so they were saying that it had a lot to do with the, the function and the, the starting point that you could see in it. It's like, and even, even like the skirt is very much based on like Roman stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I liked the costume design. I know some people on uh, a certain media outlet did not, because it was not 
America enough. <laughs> it wasn't patriotic enough. Yeah. They're just taking America out of everything these days. Even Greek demigods. <laughs> how dare they? <laughs> Even the Greek demigods. There's Is there nothing left that is sacred? Um. <laughs> Wait, we already covered that. The gods are dead. Okay. Um. <laughs> and we have killed them. <laughs> So yeah, I I liked the costume. Are gods and demigods kind of sacred by default? <laughs> yeah. I thought their criticism was dumb. Long story short. Uh however, I I wasn't really sure how I felt about her boots being like high heel boots. Uh and then I was reading the Wikipedia page on Wonder Woman this evening before recording and I found a quote from Patty Jenkins who was the director. And her explanation for the costuming was acceptable for me. Um, Is it okay for me to read it? Yeah, I'm interested at least in that bit of it. Okay. So they... Okay, so there is some language in it, and I'm just going to read the quote. Uh, It's not super bad, though. So according to designer Lindy Hemming and director Patty Jenkins, every design decision made for Themyscira came down to Themyscira. Sorry. I When I've read the comics, I've always pronounced it Themyscira, and I think it's Themyscira. I didn't take Greek. Came down to the same question. How would I want to live that's badass? To me, they shouldn't be dressed in armor like men. It should be different. It should be authentic and real and appealing to women. When asked about the decision to give the Amazons heeled sandals, Jenkins explained that they also have flats for fighting, adding, It's total wish fulfillment. I, as a woman, want Wonder Woman to be sexy, hot as hell, fight badass, and look great at the same time. The same way men want Superman to have ridiculously huge pecs and an impractically big body. That makes them feel like the hero they want to be. And my hero in my head has really long legs. So... I thought that was interesting to hmm. to see the director's viewpoint on that. I don't want Superman to have giant pecs. <laughs> You're an American. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want an A. <laughs> okay. Truth, freedom, and the American way. I mean, that's the general idea, though, is that extremely muscular heroes are generally based on male fantasies and then female superheroes are typically based on male fantasies as well (laughs) rather than rather than female fantasies right um so i don't know it's you can't really argue about it when it's coming from a female director because you know right she said it (laughs) so but do you have any thoughts on that matthew uh uh, not that particularly, no. I was just gonna. I was trying to suppress negative things to say about Superman. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I did find it a little bit strange. Let the hate flow through you. Go back to Krypton. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be like Tourette's through the rest of the episode. You're just gonna <laughs> burst out in something rage filled about Superman. I did have one costume note that I was going to throw in. It's that whatever you say about how it was done in this movie, it's infinitely better than if 
someone had gotten the great idea to go with like the 90s Wonder Woman costume, which does not look at all like any of the permutations of the classic one. It's like a denim jean jacket that kind of has her wonder (laughs) thing. Essentially just a bra um, and like skin tight black hot pants. Hmm. I'm looking this up now because I need to. That makes it sound bad. (laughs) (laughs) I have to see this. I've got to see this. I think it's widely regarded as one of the worst costume redesigns ever done. Okay. And specifically maybe out of the nineties. So my question is, is that actually Diana Prince or is it Donna Troy? Uh, which probably makes no sense to you guys, but Donna Troy was wonder girl. And I think for a time she took on the mantle of wonder woman. Um, and her costume is black usually, uh, as Donna Troy. So I'm wondering if that's just the time that she was uh, Wonder Woman. Um, in the 90s, Wonder Woman briefly lost her title as champion of the Amazons and responded the way anyone would by donning a black bra, a leather jacket. <laughs> okay. So this specific thing seems to think it is Diana. Yeah. That does sound like it is her. Everyone got terrible, co- almost everyone got terrible costume redesigns in the 90s, though. So like, to be fair... Yeah. Like, don't look up. Actually, no, do look up what 90s Thor looked like. It's. I'm on it. <laughs> I knew exactly what it looked like, and it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Fabio. <laughs> <laughs> it's so 90s. It's just like. <laughs> that is great. Look at that midriff. <laughs> Pecs like a god. Or, no, wait. Abs like a god. That's what it is. The first run of Avengers ended in the 90s, and they all had extreme 90s costumes by the end. The only one of which I think I liked was the Scarlet Witch, Hmm. where she actually, she ditched the weird headdress thing that they don't do in the movies. So it works out well. There's something that I probably could have brought up in the non-spoiler section, but have any of you seen anything about the joss whedon script i've heard of its existence matthew of the wonder woman movie yeah i didn't know that it was still around um yeah so he had been going to make a wonder woman movie and it um it got canceled before it got made but fairly recently a script allegedly leaked and people are just livid about it but, like, I don't know how they even know it's real or anything. But they're just saying, like, wow, this is, like, the most sexist thing we've ever read. From Joss Whedon? And Joss Whedon wrote it, and he's the worst person in the world. And my question is, how do you even know this is actually what he wrote? I think some of that is just left at, like, there are still people who have a a bone to pick with him after, like, what they perceive as, like, character assassination of Black Widow in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Like, if you... You can... All of the negative... Like, anytime people negatively responded to that movie, it seemed to just be about disliking how Black Widow was handled. And that negated the entire movie for them. Yeah. So I would imagine it's almost like that same mentality, just wanting to continue to punish him. 
Yeah. I, I haven't read the whole script. I've looked at bits of it and it doesn't really read like anything else I've seen from Joss Whedon. So I'm fairly skeptical. Yeah, I would think you'd have to compare it to the rest of his works to get a sense of, is this really him or not? Yeah, even like the turns of phrase and everything, they just don't match up to me. Hmm. But for the people who were looking for proof that he's like the worst sexist in the world, um, they seem to eat it right up. Mm -hmm. Well, that is a logical fallacy. If you're... <laughs> yeah. More on that later. Not today. Not later. <laughs> later, later. Um, yeah. Anyway, we don't need to get too sidetracked by that. Um, I haven't really said much about what I liked, so I will say my favorite thing about the movie is the fact that one of the main characters is named Trevor. I wanted to talk about Trevor, too. Representation is important, and, you know, I just like seeing more Trevors in film. I was worried... Um, about Chris Pine in the movie. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. Um, and he obviously played Steve Trevor. That's why we're talking about him. That's why it's obvious, not because I don't know what I'm, I'm just babbling here. Um, and I actually enjoyed his portrayal. I don't know much about Steve Trevor. He's not been in any of the, been in any of the Wonder Woman comics that I've read. However, I enjoyed his character on screen. I was extremely nervous about Chris Pine, but I would say this is the first movie that I liked him in. You didn't like him in Star Trek Into Darkness? Nope. <laughs> or Star Trek? Nope. Or Star Trek Beyond? Nope. Um, I'm running out of Chris Pine movies that I've seen. I mean, he was he was fine, I guess. He was fine. <laughs> Somewhere between enjoyable and face melting. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the son of Thor. Son of Thor. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> Wait, I thought he was his nephew. <laughs> what? Is he his son? I thought his he was son. his son. I was thinking nephew. No. George Kirk? Oh well, to be fair, I hadn't seen Thor at the point that Star Trek came out. Oh. Yeah, I think he Because it came out before <laughs> yeah. Thor. Did it really? Yeah, I think so. 2009 huh. and Thor was um, 2011. 20, yeah, 2011. And yes, I have not seen Star Trek again. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have seen it twice. I saw it once in the theater and then once on DVD. Hmm. That's a good story. Yeah. Could you tell it again? <laughs> I saw it once in the theater and once on DVD. <laughs> so what'd you think of it? <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so what did you like about his performance specifically? Uh, I don't know what it was exactly, but for some reason this character was a lot more convincing to me than New Kirk. <laughs> it feels, I, New Kirk kind of turns me off because... It feels like they're just trying really hard to convey, this is a super cool dude the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like from the moment you see the kid driving the car. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that they never let up on that ends up kind of turning me off. Mm. Do you like Newkirk? 
Mm, not particularly. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've said a, a couple different things I've said were like my favorite this or my favorite that. I should probably just go up a level and say there were a cup there were a handful of sequences that really stood out to me. Um probably my actual very favorite part of the movie is when she's a little girl. Um that sort of montage of her being really little. Mm-hmm. Um I really liked that part and that was what kind of hooked me from the beginning. And then the part where she is um kind of trying to get by in London with the secretary, which I mentioned. And then of course the, the battlefield when she crosses no man's land. Yeah. That was the thing that really stood out to a lot of people. I know. Yeah. That was something I was wanting to talk about. Um, to me, the most important thing that I, about the movie and hence like my absolute favorite thing about the movie was, their portrayal of wonder woman and um like she is really uh driven through the whole movie she has her objective is uh set on defeating ares and ending the war uh so she's tenacious in trying to uh get to that point like even in whenever they get to london she is trying to get, she says, this, is this the front? And he says, no, the front's this way, but first we need to go this way. And it, it's like, he's just dragging her along and she's, she's always wanting to go to stop Aries. Um, but also she is, they, they say in the, the opening dialogues that the Amazons were created to bring peace and to maintain peace. And that's also like, that is the only thing that trumped her continuing on to get to Aries was, uh, fighting for innocent people and, uh, trying to free people from that, uh, whatever circumstance was going on in the village. It's been long enough since I watched the movie that I don't remember what it was that, uh, spurred her on to want to, uh, free the village. I think it's that it was occupied. Well, yeah, it was occupied, but they, I think they were doing something like enslaving the people somehow. I don't, it was something other than just being occupied. Okay. Um, and wonder woman, that's one of the things I love about the character of wonder woman is whenever she fights for social justice rather than, um, beating up a bank robber. Uh, and so that dialogue between her and Trevor <laughs> about Trevor says like, we can't save everyone. People are going to die in the war. Like that's not what we're here to do. And sh- then she says, no, but it's what I'm going to do. And then she, cli- I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting kind of emotional talking about it, but just uh, that fierceness and drive to end that oppression was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. It's nice to see good motivation and heroes, the correct motivations, I guess. 
Mm-hmm. And it was, I don't know, it was a really exciting sequence, I felt, with her crossing No Man's Land. and Yeah. See, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I saw it later than you guys did, and pretty much any time I had seen anything written or discussed about that at all, people were just like, no man's land scene, it's so awesome, no man's land, like it just got everyone talking about it, and I kind of had a Pirates of the Caribbean moment, like when I didn't see Pirates of the Caribbean, and everyone around me saw it when it first came out, and when I saw it, I was like, that was... I think I dis I didn't dislike it, but I was not impressed with it because everyone else built it up so much. Mm-hmm. And like when they, the no man, I think it would have been better if I had never heard anyone talk about it because mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that was not bad. I don't like, I don't know. I was getting the impression. It was like a defining moment of cinema and a touchstone for our entire generation. Mm. And it was good, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining this well. To me, it was a defining moment for the character. And that's fair. And that's why it was so powerful to me. Like, I was... I was the, We're into the personal part of the podcast. I was crying through a lot of this movie. Basically, any time that um, they brought up something that I didn't think was going to be in the movie, but were faithful to the character and... Um, I was just like really happy <laughs> when something like that happened. And as she's, she says, but it's what I'm going to do. And she climbs the ladder. Like I was, I was weeping through, through, through the whole scene. So I don't know. It was, it was really important to me. I didn't realize this going into the movie, but it was really important to me that they, didn't screw this movie up and didn't screw up the character of wonder woman. And I I think it was just through relief and joy and I guess pride of seeing a character that I value a lot, uh, faithfully represented on screen that I was crying through a lot of the movie. Um, and people might think that I sound kind of silly, but I don't care. <laughs> like, cause as I, I think I mentioned in the other podcast episode where we talked about this, like wonder woman is my, my heart superhero. Like she, my, the values, the personal convictions that I have are the things that she fights for. And so it's a, special place in my heart that she occupies. I would not expect people to think that's silly because I've heard a ton of people say the same thing. Really? Oh yeah. man. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about people crying like all the way through this movie. Wow. I feel a lot better now. <laughs> I'm not even like invested in the character or anything. And I was surprised um, at the emotions that it was bringing up. Mm. Although I was not, personally weeping at any point i was i was affected more than i expected yeah kind of like never mind it, this reference would not make sense to you say it 
I was going to say kind of like Legolas with the beer. And he's after drinking several pints, he says, there's a slight tingling in my fingers. I think it's affecting me. But you haven't seen the... Oh, is this from the Hobbitses? (laughs) No, this is the pre-Hobbitses. What? But which are really post-Hobbitses. What? (laughs) You're not talking... Are you talking about the Hobbit movies? Yeah. No, this this is from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh, it's in Lord of the Rings? It's in Lord of the Rings when he's... Yeah, he's drinking with Gimli. Yeah. Well, okay. One, you're correct. I don't remember that. Two, why wouldn't I get it? I didn't think that you had... Ignoring the fact that I didn't get it, why wouldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think that you had watched that movie. I I thought that you had seen the first one and were disgusted with it and hadn't watched any of the others. Oh, no. I watched all of the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, okay. And just became more angry with each installment. That scene, I think, may have only been in the extended edition. I have seen those as well. Of The Return of the King. Yeah, I bought okay. those with great hope, thinking that they would redeem the movies for me, and they were even worse. <laughs> another topic for another day. And anybody who disagrees, I will fight them. <laughs> with words and facts. <laughs> and, more importantly... Opinions. <laughs> Opinions. Wait, did I... I don't know if I told you the story. Malsa was reading through... She had actually read through all of the Lord of the Rings in sequence, so she did that relatively recently. And she was in Return of the King, and was like... Melissa was in Return of the King? She was... <laughs> <laughs> she was reading... Now I'm going to stop, and it's going to take three times as long because I'm going to try to measure every word so carefully that it cannot be misconstrued or – and that you've brought that on yourself. (laughs) Melissa was reading the book in the way one typically reads a book, which is using letters on a page or some device, and – We promise to be nice. I hear no promises. I also promise okay, it. Okay, I was going to say, I hear no promises from Dustin. Um, and got to the point where some main stuff is kind of resolved. And she's like, okay, well, they're crowning Aragorn. So that's basically the book's almost over, right? And I was like, no. She's like, what? What? How much else can be in there? I'm like, a lot. And then when she had read through it, she was like, wow, they really did cut a lot out of the movie. And I was like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That, I guess, just bolsters Trevor's point. Everything that Dustin said about how they really needed to not mess up this movie, I had the complete opposite experience with Lord of the Rings. That was really important to me, and um, they did not <laughs> succeed. Yeah. I am glad that I was not the only one effect, uh, affected by the movie in the feels. You have a tendency to assume you're the only person who cares at all about DC things, and then it's funny because Trevor has the opposite experience of only knowing people who care about DC things. <laughs> I It's because I am around you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I assume that. <laughs> but I I cry easily, and so it's not because I don't think people care about dc things it's i think it's kind of i don't know i felt kind of silly crying in the movie because it's not like a tearjerker movie 
nothing in the movie was necessarily put there to make people cry, I don't think. But it was sure doing it well for me. And so, um, yeah. Well, should we move on? Um, is there anything else you want to talk about liking no. or observing? Or shall we move into the... Oh, I do have a, a question. Okay. And this will kind of possibly go into the next topic. But thinking back, I don't recall how did they get rid of the German warship? Didn't it sail into the protective, um, I don't know, force field around Themyscira? Did the whole ship go in? or I thought it did. Did they just send people in? Because there were artillery uh, blasts on the beach. Oh. I don't know. Do you guys recall how that was resolved? I don't. No. Hmm. Plot hole. <laughs> Which, okay, going back to a uh, thing that I did like, I thought the story was coherent, <laughs> which was a good thing. <laughs> huzzah. Because, huzzah, yeah. Uh, that was an element that was missing in some of the previous DCU EU installments. I recently watched Batman versus Superman with Aaron because she hadn't seen it in theaters. And she never came out and said, this movie is too dark and this movie doesn't have a story that makes sense. All of her questions and comments throughout the movie and her facial expressions told me that that's what she thought of the movie. Like there, you shouldn't after watching an hour and a half of a movie, you shouldn't have to ask why are they upset with each other? Like what is the, <laughs> what's the conflict? That was the question she kept asking. What's the conflict, which I think is partly set up because it's called Batman versus Superman. So, you know, from the title, there's going to be a conflict and you're just waiting to see what it is and why, but <laughs> there were obviously some issues with the, the storytelling um, in that movie. And those were not in this movie. But things that we didn't like. I did not. I kind of cringed any time there was. Uh, um, when they were harking on sexual humor. Because as we've previous, previously talked about. I just don't like sexual humor. And so that was a little bit cringeworthy for me. Yeah. But that's basically the end of my things I didn't like about it. <laughs> what about you guys? I had, and part of it is I don't know enough about the background to know if they were just pulling in classic stuff, but her squad of supporters that took her into, that she went into Belgium with, seemed to varying degrees to be like racist caricatures, and that made me uncomfortable. But um, again, I don't know enough but i would think there like that there should have been ways to not do that but then they did it like for instance one guy is just a very caricaturish native american guy who's literally named chief and uh, the chief the chief sorry and like i don't know just as they're going along later in the movie like look he's sending up smoke signals like to <laughs> There has to be a better way to do this. I don't know. That was. I feel like that's a minor 
complaint though especially if it's like they're rooted characters in the comics that they were just kind of working with what they had because that would probably be how stuff came out in the 40s when she was being developed i didn't think his name was literally chief i thought that was just what everybody called him well it's probably not that's just how he was listed on imdb okay I am, I think they probably said a name for him when they were talking about him in the bar. Maybe. But I it's like I said before, it's been long enough that I don't remember. Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing because like it's nice to have them represented, but But is representation good if what's being represented is an uneducated stereotype? Yeah, so it was nice to see them there, but they probably could have been handled better, I guess. I don't have any real specific complaints about it, but I generally felt a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. They talked a a little bit about like the one Samir who was the, I would say he didn't, wasn't really super stereotypy, but um, they kind of used like his presence there to talk about how like, I wanted to be an actor, but I'm the wrong skin color. Like they got into some issues that I would almost have liked to have seen a little bit more of rather than like just a little discussion on, but yeah, I, they had limited time. So I think that would have probably made it too bogged down, but I liked that part of that. So, yeah, I did like that note. Um, I also liked that they threw in a, a shout out to Edgar Rice Burroughs. Mm, yeah. That was, I mean, that was just kind of a, a quick thing, but it was kind of cool. Um, so should I jump into my, my big one? Mm-hmm. I would like you to give the full story though. Okay. So there was a moment in this movie where I thought that I was going to love it instead of just, saying, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, it would have jumped into probably my top five of any superhero movies, including the MCU stuff, if this had happened. So for much of the movie, there's a kind of an open question of whether or not Ares is actually active and alive and influencing things. And she keeps saying, we got to go kill Ares. And everybody else is saying he doesn't exist. And then there's the moment where she thinks she killed Ares. And at first it seems like this is kind of going to be a little bit of a dumb conclusion if they just have her kill this guy and everything's okay. But then she kills him and the fighting keeps on going. And right in that moment, I thought this is about to have a really neat conclusion. And she kind of has this crisis um, because she sees that people are still fighting. She thinks she's killed Ares and, um, she's not sure how to reconcile that because she wants to believe that if you kill Ares, the fighting stops, but she sees that, um, she kind of doubts humanity at that point. I think, did you guys get that impression at all? Yeah. She, yeah. cause she, um, says my mother was right. Like you don't deserve me or something like that. And that wasn't necessarily where I wanted her line of thought to end, but 
I thought the conclusion was going to be something along the lines of, we killed Ares, the people are still fighting, and this teaches us that you can't end a war or solve a problem just by finding the right person and killing them. Because the roots of war are in all of us. And so it, we, we so often believe this myth of redemptive violence, that if you find the right person and kill them, everything's going to be okay. And that moment in that movie made it look like that wasn't going to be true. It made it look like she was going to kill supposedly the right guy and then turn around and say, wow, people are still fighting and then learn some lesson about how we actually have to work things out. We can't just, kill one person and solve it. Um, so it would have been nice to see them actually have to like work for the armistice, I guess. And for people to have to learn how to live with each other. But then they immediately build it back up to like, Oh no, that person over there is Aries. And if we kill him, we'll solve the problem. And then she does exactly that. She kills the real Aries and everybody starts hugging each other on the tarmac. And for me, that was a huge letdown because they tore down the narrative of find the right person and kill them and then immediately built it back up, bringing it from what would have been an incredible movie for me back down to just kind of normal good. Mm -hmm. But they probably looked at it and made, unfortunately, conclusions like, oh, people will think it's dumb if we do this. We better put in a big boss fight. I would have even been more okay with having that essentially second boss fight if they still hadn't come to the conclusion that killing one person was going to solve everything. Mm -hmm. But it's like, as soon as it's like his body hits the ground and the armistice is a go. That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. After he died, the sun rises and the Germans and her teammates are like helping each other off the ground and being kind of buddy, buddy. But like even the, the Germans kind of get in on the, the group hug, don't they? I think so. I didn't notice a group hug, but like two guys would side hug. <laughs> I'm speaking figuratively, not a literal group hug, just people kind of wandering around being like, um, acting like, something had broken like in a good way, like, mm -hmm. ah, the fog has lifted and I see that you are my brother and I will hug you and we're all going to get along. Mm -hmm. That just didn't resonate with me. So do you disagree? And could you convince me of how that was a good conclusion? Matthew, did you, you had some thoughts that you were going to share earlier. <laughs> about this, this I, I about how they treated war oh i just i said that i liked um that they answered the i thought it was going to be a plot hole like well how did they have world war Two if mm -hmm. they kill Ares in world war one and they got or they showed that it's a endemic problem with humans yeah like it's not a, a killing one person is going to solve it but i f i felt like that was exactly the message though so how did how did they not do that? They didn't solve war, though. I think anyone watching that is knows World War II is still coming. Right. Like, they don't 
have to spell that out specifically because just it's in the cultural consciousness. Mm-hmm. But you're you're saying they answered the question of how World War II happens. And I, I didn't see an answer to that because what I saw was we killed Ares. They spent wars over. It's all good now. Ares was pointing out it's them. I'm not doing anything like he said that during the final confrontation. Right. He, he said that, but then they still immediately had an armistice once he was killed. Yeah, but they were close to doing that anyway. Right. The armistice was about to be uh, signed. And I didn't take it as the reaction that we saw on the tarmac was the reaction that was going on throughout Europe. I saw it more as like that's just the immediate effect of being in or the effect of being in the immediate vicinity of Ares at that time. Um, Because they had actually seen the fight go down and everything. Yeah, that and I mean, he's the god of war and his influence kind of being over them, which is interesting in that he was trying to, he was like the guy that was fighting the most for the armistice, but I kind of suspected that he was Ares because whenever they, they were making it clear that Ludendorff was going to unleash the new mustard gas that would kill millions of people. And he was saying, we can't do anything to jeopardize the armistice like that seem to be in line with what Ares would want to do, kind of like more people dying. And so I don't know why I went into that. I guess I viewed that scene as just because they were so close to Ares in that moment, that his death had an effect for people in the vicinity. But that's headcanon. That wasn't that wasn't explicitly stated in the movie. Yeah. And the the fact that he's the only one who ever really speaks of working for the armistice also made it kind of seem like the filmmakers are saying that peacemaking is a farce because like the guy who's arguing for it is actually the god of war and he has ulterior motives. You don't think that Wonder Woman was trying to bring peace? Through the whole movie? Um, she wanted peace, but she didn't believe that it could be achieved through peacemaking. She believed that it could be achieved by stabbing people. Stabbing one person, specifically. Stabbing one specific person. Killing the right person. Right. Well, um, her monologue after, as the movie was wrapping up, I recalled that it seemed to address the issue that we had talked about, but when we were talking about it um, after seeing the movie, I couldn't remember her exact lines. But I looked up the quote on IMDb, and what she says at the end of the movie is, I used to want to save the world, to end war and bring peace to mankind, but then I glimpsed the darkness that lives within their light. I learned that inside each, or I'm sorry, inside every one of them, there will always be both. The choice each must make for themselves, something no hero will ever defeat. And now I know the only love that only love can truly save the world. So I stay, I fight, and I give, for the world I know can be. This is my mission now, forever. So that's that's how the movie ends. Um, and so whenever you had said like 
how does World War Two come in? That was I recalled that they had worked with that in the the dialogue at the end. Okay. Rather than specifically addressing it. So I guess what I should say is we were told, but I don't feel like we were shown. Right. I felt like when in that and then more acutely when she was speechifying against Ares that they were building up to stuff and that they couldn't she got to like and I believe in love love is amazing like it that was not that didn't connect with me like I felt like they threw in love because it was a safe thing to say and I didn't I don't know that yet yeah I I felt like they were trying to make her very positive which is good but it felt bland um that's do you think it felt bland because of how it was delivered or that it seemed fake it felt like they needed something to say that no one would argue with Mm. like they needed to have her express a value that everyone would get behind and i i'm not i don't know it didn't feel like that followed her character as like the talking about love thing okay didn't follow her character as was presented in this movie i it felt like a disconnect for me. So when I heard that, it's supposed to be this big, like, built-up moment, and I was like, oh, okay, that's that's how you're going with that, sure. Like, it's not terrible, but it was something I thought, like, okay, they, I felt like they could have done something better there. I don't know what it would be, but that, yeah, I don't know. I felt like it was consistent with her character in the movie, and it's also consistent with her character in general. Um, and then on, as I was reading the Wikipedia page tonight, I was looking for what, uh, like what the motivation for creating her was. And on the page, it says Marston designed Wonder Woman to be an allegory for the ideal love leader, the kind of, uh, women who he believes should run society. And it's, he said, Wonder Woman is a psych is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world, Marston wrote. So, And the, like, the ideal love leader. I don't know, there were other points in this article where they talked about love being the driving characteristic that she uses. I don't know. I've never gotten that sense from her, but again, I... We've also grown up in the era of increasingly gloomy comics let me put it more this way when people have talked about the character that generally that's like her loving nature is not what comes to the forefront Hmm. as a compassionate warrior with godlike strength wonder woman preferred peace and love to war and violence a contradiction that has long made her a symbol of female empowerment and the center of controversy i'm not arguing with that that may be there. I'm just going with what I've always heard people say they like about mm-hmm. the character. And I was just finishing the thought that I had started because I said there were other points in the article that mentioned that. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of the description of Faramir in the appendix of Return of the King, hmm. where it says he did not love war for its own sake. Mm-hmm. He was a good guy. It's contrasting his character with Boromir. I didn't like that he was going to turn over Frodo and 
Sam and yeah. the ring to uh, Denethor. I thought that was kind of... Yeah, that was my biggest complaint. Really. <laughs> anyway. I think there. I did want to throw out that they... More just an observation. They said... I think this was a line where Ares was like trying to show... It was saying everything and was talking about how he was showing like Diana how humanity really was. And he says like, I'm not the God of war. I'm the God of truth or something like that. That then led me to a thought like there really aren't gods of truth. Like in the major pantheons you think of, like just no one takes that up. And I thought, hmm, Aletheia, what I looked at this, I was trying to remember afterwards if there was a Greek God of truth. And there, well, yeah, I guess that would be a small Aletheia. Yeah. Like a major deity, I guess, is what I'm going for. Okay. I think Aletheia is just the Greek word for truth. Yeah, it is. So is it not actually a deity? I think it's one of those ones where it's just a smaller, like, it, there's not a god of truth playing a main role in things. Okay. There's a god of lies in Norse mythology, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, who was that? Wikipedia says Greek personification of truth. Actually, I take it back. Apollo seemed to like taking all the aspects of stuff, so he probably <laughs> declares himself the god of truth at some point, too. Yeah. Oh, I'm the sun, and music, and prophecy, and archery, and... Like, and art, and... <laughs> the point where he said, I'm the god of truth, was another point where I wondered if they were going to have some kind of a twist. And And I thought, even then, it could still work into what I was thinking the moment she saw the fighting still happening. He said, I'm the God of truth. And maybe somehow she was going to see the truth of the divide in people's own hearts. Um, the conflict in people's own hearts. Um, but it, it just did not at all resonate for me to see her say, it's all about love and then stab somebody like that's just, she loves stabbing. <laughs> it's like, I, I stand for love or whatever. And then just like kill. Like I, that just was really weird to me. I mean, I, I appreciate the monologue at the end saying the thing about people, each person being divided. And I feel like that played into the movie's themes and what it had shown a lot better than the mentioning love. Yeah. But then even the beginning of the monologue, she says something like, I used to fight for peace and end war. But like the implication being now she doesn't like she thinks that peace isn't worth fighting for anymore. But she's kind of saying that she is fighting for peace. But in the process, she says that she just used to fight for peace. So I think what the quote is getting at is that now she fights for love. Uh, she used to fight for peace. Now she fights for love. Right. Which okay. is some, I don't know, semantics, but I'm just trying to parse the the quote. Now she just fights because she likes the thrill of killing people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see a, a war, like, not an actual war, but like just something where people have set up two sides. Like, we fight for peace. Well, yeah, we fight for love. And they just start like... <laughs> Completely peacefully loving each other. <laughs> yeah, then there's just a horrible, violent war. Where <laughs> <laughs> the forces of peace have prevailed after everyone's dead. Just everyone's <laughs> dead, Dave. Yeah, that would be an interesting movie or whatever. I, I guess I should say I don't think the ending is actually bad, but I felt like the writers could have 
done better. It's disappointing because you saw a potential for what you thought was a better ending that wasn't taken. Right. And it might even still be there to some extent, but I don't feel like the writers brought it out as much as they could have or should have. Mm -hmm. Whenever you first told me your, your uh, disappointment with the, or I don't know, the thing you didn't like about the movie, it seemed to be a disappointment cloaked in still a compliment, I guess, because as you said, it, it just went from being potentially an amazing movie to a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's not like, yeah. I'm kind of worried that subsequent movies might ruin her. Like by making her too like melded into the dark grittiness of the DCEU. Yeah, possibly. However, it, that brings me into how I want to, I, so like the hopes that I have now for the, DCEU are that now that we've seen a, a DC movie with humor and with hope and good character development, I hope that that's how it continues. And it's kind of fitting that we talked about DC Universe Rebirth and the direction it wanted to set for the DC Universe. Like, I hope that they continue in that direction. Oh, so they can just blame Dr. Manhattan for everything that goes wrong? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) The horn was sounded. (laughs) The horn has been mightily sounded. The yaller horn of... Oh, we should totally just get the... (laughs) That should be our warning horn. The sound of a yaller horn shooting something? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, previous directors like Zack Snyder and... Um, David Ayers, I think was the na- the director for, um, Suicide Squad. They tended to make darker, grittier films. Um, and now that Snyder is not as intricately involved with the Justice League movie, albeit for sad reasons, um, it gives me hope that it will not continue in that path. I also hope that this sets a trend for having more diverse representation in uh, filmmaking, more inclusive filmmaking, uh, because as we mentioned earlier, uh, the director was a woman, Patty Jenkins. Um, And so, I don't know. It just, I hope that it continues in that trajectory of more egalitarian opportunities for people. I would agree. And I think that definitely probably lended some of the fresher perspective to it Mm -hmm. that helped it differentiate. Part of that makes me wonder how well the movie's going to age. Not that I think it'll seem bad later, but once there's more stuff in this vein, I wonder if it will stand out as much for those aspects. It'll certainly still have a place in the history of superhero movies, at least. But I'm just... I'm not saying people will look back and be like, wow, that movie was actually terrible. That's not going to happen. But um, I'm I'm just curious to see, like, in 10 or 20 years, will people still be like, that's, like, just such a great movie? Or will they be like, 
Oh yeah, I guess that was the first one. I for one will say that it's such a great movie. Yeah, I know. I know <laughs> that some people will, but um, I guess I'm not referring as much to individuals as to the overall zeitgeist outpouring of praise that we've seen in the zeitgeist. Yeah. I love that we have enough superhero movies that the phrase history of superhero movies can be <laughs> yeah. both sensible and necessary. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for our Wonder Woman discussion. You can find us online at betterworlds.net. Show notes for this episode at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash 15. You can find us on Twitter at betterworldsnet and we also have a slack group if you want to talk with us and a few other listeners you can email us at feedback at betterworldsnet and we will send you an invitation for the slack group so that you can chat and discuss things um we actually had a fair amount of good discussion there this last after the last episode it was nice yeah and of course this episode is brought to you by Audible, purveyor of fine audiobooks. If you enjoy listening to podcasts and you enjoy books, then you might enjoy listening to audiobooks. And Audible is a great place to get them. Um, you can get a free book from Audible at audibletrial.com slash betterworlds. And yeah, free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Uh, do you have any book recommendations? We gave so many book recommendations <laughs> last time that I'm almost reluctant to give any more. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking, which ones did we recommend last time? All of them. Yeah, I will say comic books, not, not great for audiobooks. I don't know if we even have any. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping not. But there's plenty of other good stuff. Such as? Sabriel. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know if it's a good audiobook because i've not listened to it in that manner but i have not listened to it either i am listening right now to ancillary sword which is in the imperial ratch series so if you have never listened or read that series then you should check out ancillary justice because there is an audiobook and it's pretty good and the person who is reading it knows how to pronounce words that I did not know how to read when I did not know knows how to pronounce the, the person reading it knows <laughs> how, how to talk. speak English. <laughs> they know how to talk good. <laughs> the person reading it knows how to pronounce words that I had no idea how to pronounce when I was reading it. Um, lots of very British and Indian sort of things. Uh, but yeah, those are good stories. I'm almost done with the third book, and it might become one of my favorite series. Time will tell. Wunderfrau. <laughs> so, um, once again, audibletrial.com slash betterworlds. Thanks for listening. Go then. And watch Wonder Woman. Yes. One of my ongoing favorite zeitgeist things is 
the all the times that people have said superhero movies were over. Um, because it certainly happened several times even before Iron Man came out. And then the last time I remember there being a really big surge in people saying superhero movies are over was right after Iron Man. They're like, well, we've got Iron Man now. Like, that's probably the last one. And <laughs> Why did they think that? Those people were so wrong. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. They just... They had announced the cinematic universe within... Because it was so bad and they're like, eh, it's not recovering <laughs> <What>? from that. <laughs> Wait, do you actually think it's a terrible movie? But no, don't answer that question. We don't have time for this. I thought he was being sarcastic. Let's not touch that. Let's not ask. I don't want the answer to this question. (laughs) Um, But uh, what was I about to say after that? Uh, Movies being over. Superheroes, movies being over and done. Oh, yeah. Um, When Rogue One came out, I even had somebody tell me they weren't going to see it because they were sick of superhero movies. It's like, it's not a superhero movie. And they were like, yeah, it is. It's like, okay, I can tell we're not going to talk about this. (laughs) Um, But then I was thinking um, while I was waiting for uh, Spider-Man Homecoming to start today in the theater, I was thinking about this and thinking perhaps um, superhero movies um, people kind of argue over what genre exactly those fall into because they don't really feel like sci-fi movies, but they kind of are. And I was thinking maybe the issue is that um, sci-fi and fantasy have a lot of similarities. Um, and maybe maybe superhero movies are kind of a third genre alongside those, which I wouldn't know exactly what to call them, but like, I mean, just for the sake of this discussion, call it like three types of mythology, fantasy, science fiction, superheroes. They're science fantasy. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I feel like they should just kind of be their own category. Um, And even within those movies, like there are a lot of different genres. Like there's the general action movie. There's the comedies. There's the spy movies. Like they're, they're not all the same thing, people. There's plenty of variety. Yeah, especially with Marvel, they've tried to deliberately branch out and do different, like, you know, heist movies with Ant-Man and, like, weird approaching high fantasy, some of the stuff with Thor, like, period pieces with Captain America, you know, yeah. Um, On that note, the note of mentioning Marvel, I do feel like it's kind of shameful that even though they had such a lead with the MCU, just in terms of the number of movies they've put out versus the DCEU, it's kind of shameful that the DCEU got around to doing a female-led movie first. In the defense of Marvel, Wonder Woman is one of the pillars of the DC universe. Yeah, I that would be my only thing I would say is like, I while I don't disagree with your point, they don't have as high of a profile female character that was already like halfway built into cultural consciousness. Yeah. We do have a Captain Marvel movie on the way, but it's a ways out. Mm -hmm. And I would guarantee you that the average person on the street who might know Wonder Woman has no idea who Captain Marvel is. Yeah. I bet if you said the name Captain Marvel, they probably wouldn't even know it was a female character. We also have a Batgirl movie coming. There is a Batgirl movie coming. 
And Marvel has the problem that all of their most famous female superheroes are owned by Fox cinematically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that really gets me is, um, the wasp. And they even, yeah, they even address this at the end of the wasp when, or or, sorry, at the end of Ant-Man when they open the cabinet and what she says when she sees the suits is to paraphrase, it's about time. Um, (laughs) but like they can throw in that nod and yet they did Ant-Man before the wasp. Why not do the wasp first? And once they have a movie starring the wasp, why do they have to put Ant-Man in the title so that it's Ant-Man and the wasp? And why do they have to put her second in the title on top of that? And the fact that I would really have liked to have seen Janet Van Dyne enter because she's historically in the comics. She's the one who literally tell like after they do their thing, she's like, hey, we should stay as a team. She comes up with the name The Avengers. She's like a driving force that holds the team together, that energizes it. She's got a ton of enthusiasm. She's she led the team at one point for a lot longer than Captain America did. But in the cinematic universe, she gets killed off in like 30 seconds of meeting her. Or you think she gets killed. I'm holding out a slight hope that she's not dead, but slight. And it's easy for people to think like there just aren't the strong female characters or the female characters aren't contributing. But as you just demonstrated in a couple sentences, like she had a pretty significant impact, (laughs) Um, but it just gets hidden or buried. Can I tell you my, my long shot hope that they, I, don't actually think they would do, but the character that I really want to see in the Marvel universe that they might eventually get around to doing who? is someone who actually had the name Captain Marvel for a while. Um, she, and also eventually ended up leading the team for the Avengers, is a woman named Monica Rambeau. I think now she goes by Spectrum. She can turn into any form of electromagnetic radiation. Cool. So she can, she's insanely powerful and um, she's just an awesome character that gets overlooked a lot. Like she was around a lot during the 80s when they came up with her and then they kind of like, I don't know, backshelved her, but she's been showing up a lot more in the comics. And like, for instance, when Carol Danvers took the name Captain Marvel, she ended up having a discussion with Cat with Monica Rambeau about like, is this okay to like they? She didn't want to step on her toes, and they are friends and everything. I would really like to see that character show up, but I do not think she will. But if they did, I would, I would be pretty happy. She's not like my absolute favorite, but she's probably one of my, I don't know, top, top seven Avengers. I'm happy that they, we, I'm still just floored we got like Scarlet Witch and Vision in there. So I'm, I can't like complain too much. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like all that other stuff could probably be post show, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, I can't believe we're going to end on a Marvel note after talking about Wonder Woman. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know how we got there. Sorry, not sorry. I do. <laughs> Look at the, t- the co host. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got there because I mentioned a negative, uh, something that was in something that within. <laughs> I mentioned something that was in DC's favor: the fact that they got oh, okay. to a female-led movie first. Yeah, 
But Marvel will get to a person of color led movie first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Good. Let's let's make that a competition. Who can <laughs> I'm fine with that. Who can represent more diverse groups first? Well, DC got to Trevor's first. <laughs> Check that box. Marvel, I guess, technically got to Matthews first. Sorry, Dustin. Still waiting on a Dustin, yeah. And then next week we discuss the Spider-Man. Oh, we didn't do our stinger for... Do you want a teaser? No, we're fine. <laughs>